0: Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Guru Podcast featuring insights from artists and professionals of color. Today's podcast features Amazon best-selling author Antoine Bondelet. Since 2017, Antoine has written fantasy and sci-fi stories for and about the African motherland and the diaspora. Not only is he a fierce independent publisher, but he also owns A.B. Services, an audiobook services company. So stay tuned for another informative episode of the Urban Guru podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm happy to welcome Antoine Bondelay. Hope I got yeah, that Yeah,
1: right. um, it's funny because I have a lot of different pronunciations. Because like Antoine yeah. could be Antoine, like the French do it, and then like Bondelay, uh-huh. Bondelay. You know, it's weird.
0: Oh wow! So you have the uh, it's a it's a perfect name, particularly for an author and a creator. But um, Antoine, he's a um, Amazon best-selling author in action, adventure, fantasy, dark fantasy, sword and sorcery, African American fantasy, and African literature. Um, And since uh, was it 2017, you've um, published books that are geared towards young adults, adults, the African diaspora and things like that. And so I just really want to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. And that that was that was
1: all all things that I have done. Yes,
0: (laughs) those those are all correct. Yeah. And he's being very modest because he's also uh, he's a video editor. He's a sound engineer. Um, Are you an actor? No, I, that's funny though. You mentioned that though. That's what
1: I initially was doing in middle school up until half of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the performing arts and, and, and all that. But then I started, oh, it was a mistake. So uh, during my guidance counselor time, they, he, he put me, he did not put me in a PE class and I wanted to get my PE requirement out of the way in my second year of high school. Cause in mm-hmm. California, you're only required to do two years of physical education, which is really bad. But you know, as a kid, you're like, oh yeah, I don't have to do physical education. So he didn't give me that uh, session, and he put me into a film uh, class. And mm-hmm. then from there, I was like, "Oh, I actually like behind the scenes a whole lot more." So then I started doing a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the uh, tech stuff for performing arts, like the behind the scenes, uh, behind the stage kind of stuff. And then I started doing video editing and and all that, mm-hmm. which turned into me becoming a YouTuber uh, when I left high school. Um, and, and you know, and, and applying that now to my audiobook engineering and publishing.
0: Yes, and we are going to talk about all of that um, because, like I said, you're a multifaceted individual. And just a quick thing: one of your series, the TJ Young series, is an mm-hmm. um, option for adaptation. And we're yes, I it, it is currently that. option. It is being written. I don't know if it's being
1: written right now, but I know in a, in, a, in a few weeks, the writer that is attached is going to be announced. It's going to be a big blast out. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Uh, we're recording this in early October. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time this comes out, it probably would have already been announced. And um, this person who is writing it will be announced as well.
0: hmm so and and I, and I and I definitely want to talk more about that so you can explain to everybody because you do have that you at least have that much um on on your website that has been optioned so I'm assuming it's the whole series has been optioned. Correct. Adaptation. Yes. Yeah, yeah there's, so... there's, a, there's
1: a deal where the first book, if it does well, kind of a thing, you get more and more. But yeah, it, the whole series essentially has an option. Really, it's the the first book in particular. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like the focus, obviously. I mean, that's how Hollywood does it. They're like, all right, let's see how the first book go, or how the first adaptation goes and then go from there. But yes, uh, there is an option for the first book and subsequent books to be done as a series.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. And like I said, we are going to talk about we are, we are going to talk about that because I think that's absolutely awesome that that's happening. But I have a quick question for you. Put you on the spot. How many titles do you have published in all out, out of all the short stories, novellas, comics, novels that you have? How many do you have total out there? Total. OK, let me hop on over to Amazon very quickly <laughs> and
1: then I'll just like uh, list it off. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, 13, 14, 15, 15 right now.
0: And your writing career, at least from what you say, or since 2017, you've been publishing material. Obviously, you've you've probably written since you were from a young age. You probably always like to tell stories.
1: Yeah, that was something my mom was Mm -hmm. very good about. Uh, For Mm -hmm. me and my brother, um, she always encouraged our creativity because she herself was a a very creative person as well.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what's your first experience that you remember with um, writing or drawing, whatever you want you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, that actually was the initial thing was me drawing. And I thought, oh, I can be like a comic book artist or some sort of artist. Mm-hmm. I even had submitted like one of those. Remember back in the 90s, they used to have these commercials for like, hey, your child might be a creative Genius, send them, uh, send these sample pieces to our school and we'll see if we'll give them a scholarship. So I did like that sort of a thing. I've been in programs like, you know, all my life, um, film programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been in uh, anything creative. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time I felt, you know, legit (laughs) at it is when my mom, I think I've written a story. It was like a children's book. It was like, you know, artwork Mm -hmm. and my writing. And she went, we went to like Office Depot and she got it laminated. And then like just seeing my like work laminated and, and I don't even know how you still have this. She probably still does it, has it in her box somewhere. Um, Was, was just like very encouraging, you know, to see that. Or even back in the day, it was, it was awesome just seeing your stuff typed out. Like now it's easy to do, right? You can, you know, type of document and then print it out very easily. But back in the day, you had to like, you know, go mm-hmm. to these Office Maxes or Office Depot or Circuit City, which is now dead, um, and, <laughs> and and get that stuff laminated and printed. And it was just really, you know, fun. And you felt like a real professional uh, writer back in the day doing that sort of thing.
0: Let, let me ask you a quick question, because something just came to mind when you said that. Do you ever print out a final draft or first draft of one of your manuscripts just to print it out and, and physically see it? I used to, um, but then they got expensive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then I was like, I'll just do it digitally. But
1: yeah, for my first, I would say like maybe first three books, Uh, uh, I used to I used to print them out and do my corrections and stuff like that Mm -hmm. in my read through Mm -hmm. uh, that way. Um, Now another way you can do it is just by going to Amazon's uh, KDP print. Uh, KDP standing for Kindle Direct Publishing, which is what a lot of independent publishers use. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can just get a book that way too. Like that's a really good good way. Like all my Mm -hmm. proofreaders, they actually proof on a printed book in the way that it will look like when it's going to be published and when it's out to the public. Mm -hmm.
0: So That's an interesting question. And again, we're going to get to some more in-depth questions, but you just mentioned indie as opposed to traditional. What are you? Are you both? Are you one or the other? Uh, I am indie and I'm aggressively indie. Uh,
1: I mean, case in point, like this thing that's going on with the movie option, 100% Mm -hmm. of that going to meet not going through a middleman of a traditional publisher or you know some sort of subsidiary of of some sort Mm -hmm. um and I felt like I developed that because of my time with YouTube and being a YouTuber and being my own entrepreneur and making my own successes versus Mm -hmm. going the traditional route of even with a YouTube, there's sometimes uh YouTubers who will go with what is called a multi-channel network which is Mm -hmm. like kind of like a publisher but in in youtube world and i never want to do that either i just want to do everything myself and and with the idea that you know profits on the back end yes it might be might take me more time to market Mm -hmm. or maybe take me more time to um produce the content um but the reward reward at the end of it is much greater
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that um in addition to just the quality of the writing, is just I loved your covers.
1: <laughs> your yeah, covers I'm, I'm are huge so on that. Oh,
0: and great! They're so engrossing. It's not just the character; it's like it's drawing you into the world that you're talking about. And so that that's really fantastic. So and yeah,
1: even a point on that about being indie, because I know sometimes people use the word self publish and I don't use that word often. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not self published, I am definitely indie published. And the difference, the key difference between that is that, like you mentioned, my covers, right? I don't mm-hmm. do any of my own covers. You know, I go out and hire professionals to do that sure. in the same way that I don't edit my own books. I mm-hmm. hire professionals to edit my books. You know, when I do all my audiobooks, I don't do it myself. I go out and I get actors to do that. So, I'm still very much doing the same thing a traditional publisher would be doing. I'm hiring these same people who work for these traditional publishers. I just give them, you know, their 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 pay directly. Um, and again, like I said before, yeah, that's a little bit harder on the front end because you have to, you know, make that investment. But again, the back end very very important.
0: I can attest to everything he's saying, folks, because I have worked with him on my first audio book, and I'm going to do my my second one with him. And he is absolutely right. He hires top notch. Um, narrators, uh, voiceover, um, actors, really. (laughs) And so what you're doing, and I think it's interesting that we apply indie to it. And like you said, sometimes people misconstrue that with self-publishing, but you're doing everything that a regular publisher does. Like you said, the covers, the the, the editors, the proofreaders, the content editors, all that stuff by every right you are a publisher maybe we should use a different term instead of indie independent maybe just a small publisher or something yeah or, or a something publisher. a
1: small press or something yeah. yeah
0: because when you go back i was just um i was just reading something where they were talking about these guys that set up like the the league of nine or something like that mm-hmm. the boston tea party that's what it was and the group of men who set it up And they, most of them were—they were were called publishers. But when you look at what they were publishing, they were small publishers. Today we would try to call them indie, but back then they they were legit publishers, even if it was just publishing something that was just went out in their local community. They were called publishers, and so I I really think you—you really recognize I'm glad you made that distinction between self and indie, and maybe small, or just one day we're just calling publishers. Just publishers, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Just going back just a little bit. So you were really inspired by your 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 parents. Um they really supported your your creative endeavors and things like that. And so You started out with the drawing, so what really got you um, going with the writing aspect of it? I know you still do all those things, and I love how with with some of your series, it can be a novella, it can be a short story, it can be a comic. (laughs) You Mm -hmm, know, all these, and maybe maybe that does that come? Did that lead you into majoring in multimedia?
1: Yeah, in university at that time, that was like a big thing was to be. A Jack of all trades like mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. when you go to like those sort of schools, it's like, oh, you're going to be a director. Are you are going to be a cinematographer. Are you mm-hmm. going to be a writer like, you know, mm-hmm. like it was like, what, what is your lane, you know, and then when I was uh, going to school around mm-hmm. 2008 2012 time period. <clears throat> multimedia, if I'm not mistaken, at uh, Cal State Northridge, which is where I, I attended, uh, was a newer or a new ish uh, major that was within the media um sub school. I don't know how you would say it. Cause you know, the major, I would say, mm-hmm. um, they were advising kids like the, my uh, counselor um, for college. She was like, hey, you know, wh- what do you want to do? You know, ask me these questions. She's like, hmm, you know, it sounds like there's a lot there. Why not go the multimedia route, which is where you learn everything? So you get a little bit of the writing, you get a little bit of the Photoshop, a little bit of the Avid or Premiere or Final Cut Pro, you know, that kind of stuff. So that when you're out in the world and you'll see that a lot, too, even in professional settings, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the film industry, they want people who do multiple things like they're mm-hmm. like, oh, are you an editor? Oh, cool. Can you also do visual effects? You know, it's not just one skill set anymore it's like hey can you do multiple things that makes you more valuable within those spaces
0: yeah that's really interesting to know because i came through college just a little bit um earlier than that (laughs) um but when i went out into the work work world um i would often land jobs that were multimedia jobs like multimedia specialists and stuff like that and you're exactly right um you did everything from producing directing stuff um, right certainly scripting um visual effects editing um all that you basically did everything and so my my first work experience was doing something like that um you did everything so it was it's really it's really cool to see that at one time they actually decided to you could actually pursue a degree like that because it really did make more sense in the way the world was changing with the advent of the technology and, and it's companies using technology to do all these types of things at a more affordable price too. Cause you didn't have to pay, you know, huge sums to be able to do things. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Especially
1: during that time too. Cause the turn of the the, the 2010s mm-hmm. um, was a lot of new media. You know, you had like Netflix, you know, coming up You had YouTube really popping off Twitch for streaming. So all that stuff was very timely. You know, I, I would say for all, all the stuff that I learned at that time.
0: What do you think about the term transmedia? And I think you know what I mean when I say transmedia, because some people are now confusing it. But what I've taken away is transmedia is kind of it's still multimedia. It's kind of like what you're doing. You're having your stories in different media. You might have a comic book. You might have a book. Now you might have an audio book. You might even do a video on YouTube. So you have it in all these different types of media, but it's all connected to the same title
1: the strongest thing that i think authors need to recognize mm-hmm. is that when they create ip when they're creating a book mm-hmm. it's it can be way more than just that book you know like even thinking about audio like audio is really its own thing too like it has its own separate audience uh separate thing that it is but you also can you know have that be adapted you also can do a comic book there's a um uh, an author friend i have who created a Dungeons and dragon campaign guide based on his sci-fi novel which you totally can because you you do a bunch of world building when you're writing Mm -hmm. your story so hey remap that to Mm -hmm. a campaign guide and there's people out there who love playing you know these dungeons and dragons games you apply it like there's so much you can do with Mm -hmm. just the single story that you might produce
0: Mm -hmm. so let's just go with that for a second so one of the things that i i want to do with the with the podcast is to help those people that are out there those indie creatives creators, particularly writers, in, um, is maybe give them some helpful tips and, and things like that to help them over the hump of finishing their things, their stories, their ideas, but also getting them out there. Would you, I mean, it sounds like you would suggest this, but are you suggesting that that somebody from the very start consider all the different options that you have for your story, for your IP?
1: Yeah, yeah. I always want to. You always want to see your option. I mean, obviously, you want to focus first on whatever the thing you're making, mm-hmm. creating. If you're a comic book uh, person, you know, think about the comic book first mm-hmm. and foremost. If you're doing a novel, think about that first and foremost. But then after that point, definitely look out to like you know other uh, facets. And even if you might not be interested in some of those things, mm-hmm. that's when you can then hire out those services. So for mm-hmm. example, if Let's say you wrote a novel, but you want to adapt it to a comic book, but you yourself aren't really into comic books. You can. There are so many production companies out there that can help you with that. There's there's places that adapt, you know, your novel to a comic book, and then mm-hmm. they actually will do the whole process of scripting and like the thumbnails, and then the final rendering, and then the the, the line work and the colors. Um, so anything that you think you can do out mm-hmm. of your single story, you can do, and it doesn't have to just be you. Again, not being a self published person but being indie or being a small press
0: and i think that's a very i I like that point um because i'm coming to that in some regards to some of my ip um when i first started i first started in film and video and i actually started with writing screenplays but i wanted to step back because i was writing sci-fi screenplays i wanted to step back and I wanted to have a little more freedom to develop the world and do the world building, um, but now, now to the point where I want to come back to the adaptations. One of the things that you just said is something that finally occurred to me. Yes, I know how to write a screenplay. Do I necessarily have to write it? <laughs> you know, can I get right. somebody else to do it? <laughs> you know, and save myself the headache. You know, and that's one of the, that's one of the places where. I'm coming to, and I and I appreciate that that point. You don't have to, even if you have a, a facility or you understand it, maybe your understanding it can help you if you go hire somebody because now you know how to talk to them. Exactly, yeah, it's very much the case. Question for you, and it's probably probably one, it's a simple one, but I, I get it all the time and I'm sure you do. Where do your ideas come from? And I know creative people hate that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean they come from everywhere you know like just playing it uh-huh. a- and it can be like the most simplest thing like I could like play a video game mm-hmm. and I'm like on a virtual date with like two characters, right? In the, whatever Mm -hmm. the video game might be. And that, that little thing will spark off. Oh, that's, I had trouble with this scene in this, you know, work I'm using. Let me apply that. Or, you know, you're watching a movie or something. And that's the thing too, I think with creators, making sure that you are an active participant in the media you consume. Like definitely (laughs) being a creative or a writer or director, whatever it might be, you kind of ruin, um, the the cinematic experience or like the novel experience sometimes because you have to always be applying that like it's hard to turn off and just be like I just got to be a fan and not think about (laughs) anything right but you kind of have if you want to be a professional if you want to do this you know at a high level you definitely have to be an active participant in what you're viewing so anytime i'm at him, <laughs> i know my my uh, partner gets really mad at me whenever i'm in the theater and i like pull out my phone because i'm watching a movie in the theater i'm like oh that's a great idea and like you know pull it out on my phone and like write it in my notes uh, sometimes because like you know i'm yeah. i have to be an active thinker of that and that's how you know you develop these ideas and make sure that they feel very well-rounded when you are mm-hmm. you know getting sitting down and actually crafting the story
0: i'm i'm the same way <laughs> Uh, I, I have done that when I've gone to the movies with, with, with people, and it's like I you have to you have to turn it off to a certain degree, but I'm still I'm still that way. And I, it was so bad with me uh, one time. I recently went to see a movie. And then something happened up on the screen and I immediately reached for the control to pause it. It's like, oops. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK, let me let me let me remember that. Normally, I'll, I'll try to wait until I get out of, of a movie, but I, I do the same thing. And you're right. Um, ideas or in, in what you were saying, maybe you have an issue with something that you are working on. And you take your mind off of it and you go and watch something else and then you might see something and it's like, oh, wow, that happens to me all the time, too. It it, it really does. I think it's part of the, the the creative process. When something occurs to you, an idea occurs to you, what's your first step that you take?
1: idea oh well, I put it in my notes so I, I'm actually dealing with that right now because um, right now it's a uh, preptober which is um, mm. a funny little saying for for NaNoWriMo which is the national writers month uh, in mm-hmm. November so right now I I'm dealing with that because anytime I have an idea I put it in my notes no I don't I often don't edit it I just you know place it in and I'm like, all right, and worry about that later. Uh, so now I'm at the later point where I'm about to get into book three of my young adult series. And uh, now it's time for me to figure out and make sense of these notes that I just put down randomly throughout the last 12 months, 12, 18 months. Um, so from there, that's where I you know, look at all the hodgepodge ideas i have and then try to make sense of them how do they how can they be more cohesive as a you know narrative where are the arcs that i can find and that's where i get into like the outlining phase um and then of course you get into uh, the drafting phase and then uh, you know uh, beta readers line editors all that stuff
0: ah uh, and oh man see i'm telling you every time you you answer a question there's like Five more questions pop up off of the things you say. <laughs> First of all, real quick, what series are you talking about your third book? Uh, TJ
1: Young and the Orishas. That's the the one that's optioned currently for mm-hmm. uh screenplay adaptation. Um, I'm about to get into book three. Like I'm right now, like October, I'm supposed to be doing it right now. Um, and organizing <laughs> right now, I'm trying to organize my my ideas into a cohesive-ish outline Nice, very
0: nice, very nice. So, I always like to talk about the digital writer. And so, <laughs> you mentioned notes, taking notes. Are you grabbing an old fashioned um, spiral notebook, a composition notebook, or are you using some kind of digital method to t- keep your notes? Primarily, I'll say 90% digital, 10% isn't a notebook. Um, <laughs>
1: I do have like three uh, Manila, what are these called? Another, what are they called? Moleskine? Moleskine? Those those notebooks. I have that um, at my oh, desk, wow. sometimes I'll jot something down there, uh, but yeah, 90 percent of the time it's going to be on a phone and then transfer it to a like Google Doc or something like that.:
0: Okay, so um, on your phone, you just use the, um, the, just a the note app, and then you just transfer it to Google Docs. You prefer Google Docs. I yeah, not asking- Google Docs, I prefer for sure, because of okay. the
1: collaboration um, mm-hmm. part of it, because mm-hmm. I can just send that out to beta readers and they can give me notes directly, you know, in the Google Doc. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just easier. It's just easier for me to, to, to work in Google Docs.
0: Okay, nice, because like I said, I always always talk um, and sometimes I'll do like um, um, a presentation or something at a convention talking about digital tools. So I'm always and I've actually done a little short video where I've actually interviewed uh, writers and stuff just to see what they use in their daily creation process. I ask them what apps and things that they use. So it's, it's always interesting to get people's workflows and find out how they do things. So I guess from what you're saying that you, although it's kind of surprising, I would have thought it would have been the other way. You're more of a, you're not by the seat of your pants type of a writer. No, yeah, no, I'm very, (laughs) although I'm trying to, it's funny you say that
1: because I am trying to change that for book three um, of TJ uh, is because sometimes when you are an architect, which is what I am usually, I usually, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly outline my stories, um, you know, naturally, your characters want to do other things. And you're like, No, but this is the outline that I spent, you know, a month on. And then so I, I wanted to, like, take away that disappointment a little bit by, I'm still going to outline, but I'm just mm-hmm. not going to be as detailed with my okay. outline. So to, to, okay. to let it so that if I do change something, I'm not so like, Oh, no, like, what am I gonna do, you know, kind of so now I'm doing a more a scaled back. Mm-hmm. Um, outline so that I can be more freeform uh, with the way I I, I write the story.
0: No, no, I I love that because I'm I'm the same way. Um, and when I would teach um a, a writing class, I, I used to teach a screenwriting class, and um I would every time I mentioned something about do, doing any type of outlining, people would freak out and probably think that I was talking about what you probably initially did, where super super detailed. It's like no, for me, even with my books, it's just for each chapter, it's like two or three lines. I, I need this to happen. These characters are there. And I just kind of leave it at that. So I just, I have a general idea. Yeah. So, and I think that's what uh, I want to
1: do now too. Yeah. And also it's, it's more freeing. Uh, Cause I feel like some of my Definitely. best scenes are mm-hmm. the ones that you're like, oh, I just went left when I was supposed to go right. And those are like the most exciting because well, yeah. you yourself, the writer are engaged. Cause you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not actually sure how this scene's going to end versus if you are Thank a plotter. You. You're like, you. oh, I know exactly how this is going to end, so you kind of lose <laughs> that drive of, of you know,
0: the want. <laughs> well, I have to, I have to ask you this question because um, I remember a friend of mine. You know, one of the most popular writing books is Stephen King's On Writing, and it's not even about the mechanics of writing; it's more no, about not really. the philosophy of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was after reading that that I finally sat down and started writing my first words. And I'm going to ask you about NaNoWriMo. Don't let me forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about it, and this is what I tell people, it's like, is when we talk, we we'll talk to other writers and stuff. If I start on a novel or a short story, or a novella, I'm good at going all the way to the end and finishing that draft. And the reason that I do that is because of what you just said. It's the same thing that Stephen King said about maintaining your momentum. But I like what you said because that's what I tell new writers and things like that. Don't don't step away from your novel because not only do you lose some momentum, but your first time writing that novel is what you just said. Your characters, once they take on a life of their own, they will do unexpected things and you won't know what's going to happen. This will be your first real time to experience that story. Every time after that, you're rewriting. And I think that's a really that's important That's the absolute thing. truth. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really important thing that to some writers might miss, particularly um less experienced writers or, or new writers that are coming to it and the and it, i feel so i don't know i i feel i don't know what to tell them when they back away from the story because i know how hard it is to get back into it and so it's i, like I really, running
1: like you know when you're on the mile run and uh-huh. then you, you if you slow up or stop it's really hard to get the run going again
0: yeah you, you stop and you know take a break sit down you know <laughs> Yeah, it's like, eh. <laughs> and it really is. But and that was my experience, and I think that's why for me, I'm I'm kind of like that. I'm more of a, more of a um, like you said, a general organizer. Um, but when I wrote my first book, I had that general outline, and I knew they were going to meet the, the villain at the end. But when they finally met it, and who who was experiencing the pain and stuff like that that was the first time I experienced it and I was experiencing all the emotions because I really didn't know what these characters were going to say and what they were going to do in mm. general I did but not a specific and when I ended that it was like wow I just walked away from all these people that I've known for the last 30 days <laughs> you know? yeah no, true. <laughs> and so that are you going to do Nana because you did mention that yeah, yeah
1: I, I, this is my first time actually doing it I've mm. been aware of it like since I started writing but I never I never had a project overlap with it because um, I will already be like midway in a draft or something. Yeah. You know? But this is the yeah. first time I'm actually going to be starting in November for the first time. So I was like, "Oh, let
0: me do it." I I I did it, and ironically, <laughs> the first two books I did three years in a row. And the first two books I did, I, first of all, I I I took a book that I actually or a screenplay. I took an outline for a screenplay and, and adapted it into a book. So that every day I sat down, I knew supposedly what I was supposed to write um those two books ironically are in a series i haven't even released yet <laughs> oh my god that that that's how they go sometimes with that <laughs> but but yeah but no i i really i really like that you'll enjoy it and you won't i'm sure you won't have a problem with it i always encourage particularly newer writers to do it the ones that aren't sure if they can like crank out at least a novel length piece of work um try it there's all kinds of supports that they have now when they first started they didn't have near as much stuff as they have now right so yeah you have an audiobook service tell us a little bit about that and how you got started with doing your audiobook service
1: so i started it because well initially when i was doing my first novels um i just naturally was like well hey i'm in multimedia i'm a youtuber i'm in this space already Mm -hmm. let me just do the audiobooks and also i should say too that i used to work at apple retail um, in Los Angeles, and if you work anywhere like a retail or like a restaurant, um, like Los Angeles, New York, or any like the big cities, you're always going to be interacting with a lot of actors. So well, <laughs> after leaving there, and I, I knew a bunch of people, I was like, hey, just come on in and like, help me record my audio. And then eventually, I had a co authorship with another author who um did fantasy as well. And naturally, I did my audio book like I always do. And so I said, or no, he said, who who did or he asked me who did your audio and I was like oh that was me no I just got one of my actor friends that I know uh, from a place I used to work and then I did it he's like oh man you should probably be doing this as a service and then then I actually like took him up at first I was like I don't think anyone's gonna like actually want me to t- t- pay me for what I do but then I was very wrong about that and and now I'm here doing it full-time uh with audiobook engineering and and publishing
0: and when did you start it up? I'm uh, sorry. Oh, in
1: 2018 is when I think I started doing it for other people. Um,
0: <laughs> so you did it for yourself. So you did your own audio. Yeah, I just no? did my own
1: stuff. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm actually self published on is audio in the terms of um, the editing process, not the uh, narration itself. But yeah, that that's like the one thing in this entire process that I can say is actually self published. When you want audio books,
0: mm-hmm. and the, the editing process of it
1: the editing yeah not the narration cuz narration i just get a i get a, a narrator to to come in mm-hmm. and do that
0: mm-hmm. and again uh, folks um i recently just completed mine <laughs> and absolutely love it and i'm i'm coming back <laughs> to do the next one um but it, it was it was a really good experience and so yeah i remember the, the the bad old days of if you drove down like interstate 95 up or down interstate 95 you could stop at at a at a convenience store or, or um, gas station and you could rent an audio tape or a CD that you play in your car and you and yeah, switch them out. Yeah. CD I mean, one is over. Please insert CD two. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get, you go drive 300 miles and you turn them back in. I've always loved audio books. I've always, not, one one thing for me is I, I came up to DC to go to um, grad graduate film school. So I always hop in my car every weekend and drive all the way back home to Georgia. So it was a long haul for me and XM radio wasn't available then. So I got tired of listening to my music on my CD. So I, I've i always loved audiobooks. I've always loved the potential of them. Um, I particularly loved them when they mixed in, in sound effects and music. Um, I think some of the ones that, that really blew me away before other people started doing it was the Star Wars. Yep, that me
1: too. That was my oh, first, gosh. like, even yeah. being aware of mm-hmm. um, audiobooks, not even with Harry Potter, because I know with Harry Potter, I read through them as a child, mm-hmm. but it was Star Wars books. Yes. I think it was one of my buddies. I think it was the Darth Bane trilogy in particular. Ooh. And he's Ooh. like, hey, like, there's an audiobook, and it has, like, the lightsaber sounds, and the blasters, yeah. and the starfighters. I was like, oh my god, I have to, and then, yeah, it's like listening to a movie, and I thought all audiobooks were like that, <laughs> and oh. I realized I was so <laughs> rock. I was
0: like, oh, wait, no, that's not the standard for audiobooks. <laughs> No, it's not, no, it's not, but I always always had people like, "Well, I, always, I read a book. It's like, yeah, I read a book too, but I can also listen to a book, And when you're stuck in traffic or when you're commuting traffic is nice sometimes, yeah, um, or so taking a but, jog or whatever. Just talk a little bit about about the audio, how important you think audio books are.
1: Oh, that is it's almost the point where I actually prioritize mm-hmm. my audio above all else mm-hmm. there's even some authors now that actually do audio first where they'll put their audiobook out first before the print or ebook version is even released mm-hmm. um and yeah it's a, it's a hugely important thing especially since the pandemic uh it's mm-hmm. it's seen a huge mm-hmm. uptick because people were home not doing anything and they're like hey audiobooks especially now i think people are starting to realize too that um libraries carry audiobooks and i'm not talking mm-hmm. about um going you know physically to a, a library and then you know checking it out like the the CDs and the cassettes and things like that but no like an app you can literally i have right now i think like four audiobooks on my app called Libby uh also you can use Overdrive there's a few there's a few out there Overdrive uh, yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and like i said before i'm listening to 48 hours or 40 uh, 48 uh, laws of power mm-hmm. uh i have the new uh what was the, the autobiography uh, i'm glad my mom died like i have all of these literally on my phone right now through the Los Angeles public library
0: yes uh uh-huh. and and i and i must say that I tend, even though I'm a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fiction writer, um, I tend to listen to nonfiction the most <laughs> on audiobooks, but let me find a series that I like and there's no problem for me getting both the physical and the um, audiobook versions of them. I feel uh-huh. like I'm
1: very similar because with nonfiction, always, I think I'll always do audio and it's easy to follow on, on audio. Yes. Uh-huh. But with the fantasy work or sci-fi, like I have to at least read the first book or at least the first half of a book just to like figure out like, okay, what's the person's name? Like, what how's all, you know, before I can listen to it in audio.
0: But you know, and you mentioned a, a a very interesting thing because working with you, it occurred to me because I have the fourth book in my YA series that's coming out. Fingers crossed soon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's off to the to, to the final editor, um, and it occurred to me, man, I would actually almost rather produce the audio book first. <laughs> yeah, and that even
1: for me, even in my production like schedule, my audio book production kind of serves as like my last proofread because even sometimes when you hear someone read it out loud, you're like, oh wait, that's not actually how I will want it to be, or that's not what I was after. Um, So Mm -hmm. I ended up like changing something because, you know, I work directly with a narrator in the booth. So
0: sometimes I'll be rewriting the story, like as they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I must confess, that was one of the things I was thinking about. It's just, it's another, it's another one of those checks. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because with traditional publishing, before they went through all the consolidations and, and got rid of, fired a whole bunch of editors who are now out, Offering editing services. yep, And that's show. one of my, uh, my editor for the
1: majority of my books. Mm-hmm. Um, she was once a traditional uh, publishing editor uh, mm-hmm. and now she's doing it on her own and she's making bank because she's doing yeah. it on her own terms, you know, and in her own schedule.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like I said, even before they had that shakedown and, and, and the, and the um, you know, getting rid of all these people, you typically had, I think uppers of maybe five different people who, were default, you know, proofreaders, you know, the typesetter, you know, all of that, all of those things. So it's like, um, now that you're indie, you you have the, all these people, but like you just said, even sitting down and getting your audio done and deciding which one you're going to put out first, that's just another line. And you're absolutely right. Um, hearing things, and, and you know, because I, I just worked with you on one, you hear something and you there's an the itch to change it <laughs> you know? especially when it's like older word too you're like oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> but one of the things i have found again talking about technology is one of the things i will do is because siri has come a very long way now you deal with real audio people so it probably drives you absolutely nuts um but sometimes just listening to something on a on a on a decent Siri's voice, that Siri voice that has the inflections and stuff, mm-hmm. you find the same thing. It's like because if, if it sounds smooth with the with Siri reading it, it's probably going to be really smooth with a human being reading it.
1: Yeah, I actually use that a lot for proofreading. I use a AI proofers mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, just listening through, uh, mm-hmm. or, or 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 some some authors will tell you, hey, you when you're in your second draft, third draft, or you're finalizing, mm-hmm. uh read it out loud, you know, because you're gonna hear yes. things and capture things that you don't realize that you need to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very true, and you can do that now with a lot of these AI, um, uh, natural readers and things like that. Where yeah, you even I actually was just using it yesterday because I was proofing another author's, um, mm-hmm. I was beta reading for them. And I was using it, and it even has like mouth sounds and and breathing to make yes, it sound it more does. like it's a real person. Yes, <laughs> it
0: does. Yeah, I find myself doing that too. Um, I will do that simply because I, I I'm I'm an editor and stuff like that, so it's easy for me to just have. And, and I'm going through. Basically, it's almost as if I'm using um, the Microsoft um, Reader thing that some authors use. Yeah, too. yeah, there's
1: that too. Yeah, and
0: I'm going paragraph by paragraph, so I'm. Catching a lot of stuff and I'm listening to it. I said, oh, sound right. And I'm going back and I'm changing it at that point uh, because of the way it sounds. And sometimes I'll just record it. I'll put it. I, I you know, I'll make it um, as, as a book based audio book, put it on my phone. And when I go walking in the morning, I'll listen to it and make mental notes and stuff. like, huh, okay, that that worked. Okay, cool. There's all kinds of different things to use. And so that's why when I bring particularly authors and stuff on here, I always like to find out what they're using. So it's it's really cool because it's something that anybody can do. I mean, if you have a computer, you have access to so many different tools that are on there to help you in your writing process before you ever get down to um, paying somebody else. Right. You have your manuscript... Done. How what's the order of editors? Where does a oh. beta reader come in as opposed to content or a proofreader? What how how does that typically work for you? So for me, the way that I do it,
1: um, first I start off with what I call an alpha reader, which is just someone who usually it's gonna be like an author friend or something like that, who mm-hmm. clearly knows, oh yeah, this is not a finished thing. Cause sometimes if you have beta readers come in too soon. They'll mm-hmm. give you notes that are like, no, that's not, the, it, it's a first draft. It's a, you know, like, so I have a alpha first, and mm-hmm. then I usually will have that then go to a content editor. And a content editor, also known as a developmental editor sometimes, um, are basically story editors. They, they, they come in and, and read it just based on story, no grammar, no line edits or anything like that. Then after that point, I will send it to beta readers, which are basically just sending it out to the general public. Um, so most times or sometimes I find you'll have a lot of valuable feedback within the beta reader process because mm-hmm. that's where you're actually hearing from actual readers and how mm-hmm. they're going to react to your story. versus like an editor because I feel like sometimes if you're if you're just doing the editors, um, you're gonna get a very specific kind of feedback that's coming from like a professional. And Sometimes you might get hung up on some some stuff that a, a a professional editor will say that a reader doesn't really care about. So you have to like figure that you'll start figuring that with experience too, like the difference between um, reader feedback and like a professional um, mm. uh, feedback and, and what matters. Because sometimes you'll have an editor who gets you know hung up on like this rule or that, but you're like mm, readers aren't really going to care about that rule or whatever. it's not affecting the the story or the storytelling yeah. of, of whatever it might be. Um, that's always going to be a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Um Then after that, so then it goes to beta readers, and then it goes to a line editor or copy editor. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. people separate that. Sometimes people say like line is more for like grammar, and copy is more for like the flow of of the language. Mm-hmm. It mixes and matches. So uh, that'll be the last one, and then you will have the the proofreader.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then for me, there's the additional step of having the audiobook, which is really like a final, yes. final, final yeah. proofread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it, then I would actually submit it to mm-hmm. the the retailers uh, via uh print um audio ebook whatever it might be
0: you pretty much have me convinced to go ahead and go with the audio at as that last step before you put anything out because like i said i already like audiobooks but i i actually like that because you're right once you hear it spoken and read and you get the feel for it it's like huh okay
1: Even something as simple as like
0: dialogue tags.
1: Like sometimes you're like, oh wait, I didn't didn't need a dialogue tag there. You know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) because I I definitely know who that person is, you know? Yes. And it's funny because I've done some editing on on stuff that I had other people read. And you're right. Although I think sometimes when we read it, the dialogue tags, it's almost like a period. We kind of skim over it, you know? But when you're listening to it, you can really tell when it interrupts the flow of what's going on. And I found myself t- like you said, I found myself taking some of those things out mm-hmm. uh, because they're they're not needed. Um, and the question is, if I did the audiobook early, would I take those out of the of the manuscript before it went out, or would I leave them in? That's an interesting question. Your TJ Young series was optioned for adaptation correct option just means that you are you gave
1: a producer the rights to adapt your work um oh, okay. authors do get paid out for that um sometimes authors make careers literally just off of that just on having their stuff optioned all the time that's what J- george r. r martin that's how he uh, paid off a lot of his debts um in the 80s and stuff like that um before he uh went in and wrote a song of ice and fire like, just a lot of his short stories and novels were just optioned all the time, not, not produced into anything. You know, he didn't have anything produced until um, uh, Game of Thrones came out on HBO. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, that option, you know, you, you still get money because you're basically you're saying here isn't the amount of money that says you're allowed to for this time, uh, a year, 18 months, whatever the terms are, um, to basically pitch this around or attach people to the project and, and that sort of thing. So right now, currently, TJ is in that period where it is option for adaptation Um, a writer was hired writing it right now or soon I'm not sure again I I don't know when this comes out but probably when this comes out writing it right now um, which I'm really excited for I kind of want to see how you know a writer will adapt it um, uh, for the big screen and stuff like that Um, and then at that point the producer writer and then if you can and and at that time uh, attach any actors um, you would take that and present that to the studios and from that point it's up to the studio to say yay or nay. Um, and then the
0: process recycles uh, just like that. Okay. And so, okay. And, and I was going to ask, but you do say a motion picture.
1: I personally would prefer it as a television series. Because uh, I just like television, would. you know. Um,
0: but right now the producer is trying to, uh, oh,
1: oh, he's working it as a, a motion picture a movie. Uh,
0: with all the things that you have um, in, your, in your catalog, what? Are you working on next? I know you mentioned the third book of the series. Mm-hmm. What what else do you have coming up for yourself? Uh, so it'd be that
1: it'd be T.J. Young and the Orishas book. 3, uh, The Hero's Equinox. Uh, I am also working on an in-between novelette, which takes place between book 2 and 3, called An Axe for a Hammer, which uh, depicts both Shango and Thor. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Thor, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, as the Norse god of lightning. Less people familiar with Shango, who is the Yoruba um, Ifa uh, faith uh, system, uh, lightning deity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little, it's a cool little story with those two. Um, and I'm also working on something called Tales from the Other Worlds, which is an, an anthology that I'm working with with several other authors, which is due out in February. Oh, and that's the thing too. I always uh, publish during like black focused. Um, uh, dates. So February uh, is usually when you're seeing a release from me. Uh, Juneteenth, mm-hmm. you'll always see a release from me on Juneteenth uh, and now October for um, mm-hmm. Black Speculative Fiction Month. Um, you'll always see the, those three months are always when you'll see something from me.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Really quick question. You do mention the um, African folklore mythology. Has that always been an interest for you, or is that something that happened, developed later in life as you became conscious of it? Um, why did you choose to focus on African folklore
1: mythology? Uh, it, I would say it was somewhat recent in that, and I think in twenty fifteen, I was watching uh, the ending of one of the seasons of Game of Thrones, and literally, I didn't even expect to like write myself. I mean, I, I was already writing creative or whatever, but I didn't really think, oh, I'm going to write a book. Um, it was more of, oh, I was looking for a book that did not exist. And I was like, oh, is there like an African Game of Thrones? And then I looked it up. Um, <laughs> and that's how I found, you know, a lot of great authors. Like I found Nnedi uh, Okorafor and mm-hmm. like, you know, Cottawitch like and um, a Lagoon and, and a bunch of other ones that she did. And uh, N.K. Jemisin's The Fifth Season, mm-hmm. um, which I liked, but none of them were exactly, you know, the book mm-hmm. I, was, I was looking for. So then, I mean, I, apparently this is very... Um, Common among writers, but I just did the thing that most writers do, and that's oh, I wrote the book that I wanted to read, (laughs) and that's how I started doing it. I just Mm -hmm. literally was like, I want to read this book specifically. Oh, it doesn't exist. Okay, I guess I'll write it.
0: Yeah, and 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 that's that's you're right. That's a common inspiration. I also think for creatives, that's our solutions to so many things. When you look at our long history in this country, we've that's always been our our route. Um, We didn't see comic books that reflected us, we went in the main comic books. I mean, I forget what the guy's name is, I have to find this, but he has this incredible um, history of black comic book creators that goes all the way back to like the 1920s or 30s. Oh, shit. And every 20 or so years, it's like we shake ourselves up and we start doing it again. So, right. you know, so I think we've always have, have been like that, particularly when you don't see certain aspects or certain things. Um, portrayed you go and you create your authentic characters you create your stories i mean i'm doing the same thing so um yeah since the even before the pandemic but certainly since the pandemic a lot of people are trying something different they're indulging in the dreams they've always had mm-hmm. it's like a now or never type thing and i think there's a younger generation that's opted out <laughs> you know <laughs> Of of trying to work for a company for 30 years for a pension? Mm, yes. Um, so what advice would you give to these writers who have ideas? They might have even started on a book and might have stopped or whatever. What advice would you give to writers or potential writers, people who are thinking about it, who are dusting something off, so to speak? What advice would you give to them? Put
1: yourself around people that Mm -hmm. you want to be like. So it's really, really important, like your social circle, uh, Mm -hmm. your work circle. um, It's very true, I forget who said it, there was some famous philosopher, somebody says like, you're like, you're basically the average of the 150 people you know in your life or something like that, right? So it's really important that those 150 people you put in your life are people who you wanna be or or, or goals that you wanna seek out. So for example, a writer, right? Mm-hmm. put yourself in a writing community. get yourself some writer friends, uh, get some accountability partners, get some editor friends that you should you you know um swap stories with each other, motivate each other say like, hey, what's going? on? I hear you were doing a book, but hey I, I haven't heard anything in like two months. What's up you know you you need those people in your life um if you want to succeed, and that's with anything in life, like even if you don't want to be, if you want to be like a carpenter or whatever, you need like carpenter friends, you know. If you want to <laughs> get into business overseas, and you got to have friends who are doing that, people who are into stocks and stuff like that,
0: mm-hmm. you know, you just
1: have to make sure that your friend group, your work group, um, are all going in the same direction that you are going.
0: Thank you, because that that is a very important thing, um, because when you are around those people, like you say. Even if it's an unspoken accountability, it's just the fact of the vibe, you know, being around those people, seeing what they're doing, and being inspired, and seeing that it's doable, you know. Well, thank you, Antoine, for being on my podcast. I really enjoyed this, um, and hopefully, we can have you back. Particularly, I would definitely like to talk to you if you get um, the next good piece of news about your adaptation.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm hopefully i won't make it so that no one knows about it. like the second i get the green light because i even when i knew that this writer particular writer is writing the the adaptation i was like am i allowed to say this he's like no, no you have to hold off hold off and i was like okay okay the second he says i'm allowed don't people are going to be annoyed with how much i'm going to be mentioning it so don't worry don't worry you guys will know
0: <laughs> oh good cool cool well thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Urban Guru Podcast. And of course, you can always find us on iTunes. Just search for Urban Guru and you'll find our podcast listed. You can also listen to this podcast on SoundCloud. Just search for Urban Guru Podcast and you'll be able to find it there too. Thank you again for listening. And remember, no matter whatever your creative endeavor is, always push forward because every step that you take along that path will lead you to your ultimate destination.